Welcome back, everybody. It is your Thursday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. As always, it's Ian Mendes and Sean McAdoo uh, with you ahead in this uh, uh, podcast. Boy, oh boy, do we have something to sink our teeth into as the Montreal Canadiens make a shocking change. Not so much that Dominic Ducharme is out, it's that Marty St. Louis is in. We're going to talk about that. Brad Marchand gets his suspension from the Department of Player Safety. We'll hit on that. Uh, he did that in a meltdown game against Pittsburgh. And guess what? Said the kid is on the verge of an NHL milestone. We'll discuss that. Take a couple of your questions when we open up our mailbag, including Jamie Benn's Art Ross game from a couple of years ago. Roll Cup of Hockey. We'll do a little bit of this week in hockey history, including Daryl Sittler hitting a 10-point night in one game. But, Sean, I'll tell you what. I, I just need to know where you were what you were doing, and how you saw it, that Martin St. Louis is the new head coach of the Montreal Canadiens. Walk us through that. My my honest answer is I was offline for a little while. I get most of my news through Twitter because I'm, I'm on Twitter all the time. And uh, this is one of those cases where I wasn't. And I had sort of, you know, I'd seen a couple things go by and I saw his name. And when I looked on, I saw all these people talking about Martin St. Louis and, you know, his coach and this. And I was like, man, that's a weird rumor to be out there. But hey, he, who knows? Names get out there. And and yeah, maybe they are thinking about him as as an assistant or, you know, as some somebody to bring on. And it took me a while to realize I'm like, man, people are being weirdly specific about this rumor and and then realize that. They were talking about a, what at the time was basically a done deal and and a done deal for Martin St. Louis to come in as the new head coach of the Montreal Canadiens with very, very little coaching experience on his resume. I, I'm probably being even a little bit kind putting it that way. It's uh, it's 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 interesting. I mean, as. As someone in the the writing and podcasting and content business, God bless the Montreal Canadiens for this season because uh, they've they've given us lots to talk about. But uh, I got to be honest, I don't get it, and I'm hoping you can explain it to me. Okay, so it kind of gave me like, and I, and I I saw it, and I think it was Frank Saravalli, the first tweet that I saw that had it, and I was, you know, you always think about those fake accounts. And you think that I get duped? Yeah, that's more of a trade deadline. I'm with you. I'm like what? Martin Saint Louis, and I I almost had the same feeling. Remember when the Islanders named Garth Snow general manager, and you're like, yes, what? Yeah, like, but was that before Twitter though? I like, feel, I feel like, like that was yeah, that was like yeah. a 2006 or, or something. But yeah, yeah, it was the same sort of deal where you know you heard about it, and you thought like. Oh, does Garth, isn't he the backup? Go- like, did he retire? Did I miss something? And he, we had missed something, but it, it all happened in in a few hours. Yeah, that's that's not a bad comparable. I mean, it's it's a better comparison, I think, than the one that I've seen in a few places. Is which is people are saying, well, you know, what about Rod Brindamore? Rod Brindamore was a player that you know that people loved him as a player. And he came in and he brings that emotion, he brings that fire, he, you know, the and 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 they love playing for him. And part of the reason players love playing for him is because they know he's been there. You know, he's not somebody who's watched it on film. He's lived it. And he brings that passion to the locker room, and that's what Martin St. Louis is gonna do. Problem is Rob Brindamore spent a lot of years as an assistant coach. He paid a lot of dues and he learned what it took to be a coach in the NHL. And and he set himself up well for success. And uh, Martin St. Louis. I'm not knocking the guy, but he hasn't done any of that. Um, so, I, I, I mean, I'm not saying that he should have hung up the phone when an NHL team called and said, is this something you're interested in? But I just really have a tough time imagining the scenario where this works out really well, just given where this team is at now uh, and and what he, what he has as far as experience-wise. I mean, look. It's it's going to be better than it was when they were losing seven to one to the Devils. I mean, there there's going to be a bounce here of some sort. There almost would have to be because this team is on the verge of being historically bad. Uh, so I don't think that the line for success or failure here is can Martin Saint Louis get this team up to playing three hundred hockey. I think yes, the the passion and the enthusiasm he's going to bring 
and the credibility will probably do that. But as far as being the answer for the long term, if if there is any view of the long term here, I I don't I don't really see it. I've been shocked before by things that happen in the NHL, so you know, let's find out. But I don't really see the logic here. I got to be honest. Yeah, it's uh, you know we should point out a couple of things. We're recording this before they're having an 11 a.m., 11.30 a.m. news conference with Marty St. Louis, Kent Hughes, on Thursday. So, you know, in the interest of uh, transparency here, we're recording this before that comes out. So maybe we'll get some answers, right? Maybe we'll get a mm-hmm. little bit more insight. But the key word here is interim, right? Like, this is yeah. a classic interim. They're not married to Marty St. Louis. They didn't announce we've got a two-year deal. It's, it's an interim deal. But what mm-hmm. I find fascinating, I just want to, I want to go through, and I you've done this. You've done this a number of times in your columns, where you're like, "Here's what Arpan uh, Arpan Basu, who writes uh, yeah. for us." Okay, I just want to go through Arpan's timeline from last night, and I wonder if this was the breaking point. Like, I'm wondering, are Kent Hughes and the Canadians brass Jeff Molson are they just looking at Arpan's Twitter feed and thinking, "Okay, maybe we do have to make a change because they're losing to the devil. They're getting smoked by the devils." Yeah. Here are some of the tweets from Arpen in Dominic Ducharme's final game. Okay, one th- this one comes at 8:37 p.m. on Tuesday night. I don't think there is anyone who fully understands what the Canadians are trying to do in their own zone, including the Canadians. Mm-hmm. Uh, hey, look, the Canadians are losing 5-1 after two periods again. So it's garbage time again with 20 minutes left. This can't actually be true. But it just feels like 5-1 is the Canadians' most common score this season, their natural habitat of sorts. Wow. Um, He then tweets out after the game the quote from Josh Anderson, quote, I feel embarrassed, to be honest with you. And then Arpin's postgame story is headlined, uh, is tagged, General Manager Kent Hughes wants the Canadians to be able to have fun while playing hockey again, except his new team is poorly coached. And it's becoming more and more obvious with every game, something has to give. I I think Arpin just basically called this. If you just follow his timeline last 24 hours, it was inevitable. Like that Devils game last night or on, on Tuesday night, that was the straw that, that that broke it all, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and, and look, if you're if you're looking for uh a positive here or, or you're looking for a reason to to say that, you know, this is this is gonna be a good move, you, your starting point is it couldn't get any worse. I mean, it really can't. This, the team has gone from bad to worse to awful to on the verge of of making history. And uh, look, I always, whenever we're talking about this stuff, I always feel the need to preface and say, you know, you hate to see someone lose their job. Um, but it, it, this was getting so bad that you you almost felt bad for Dominic Ducharme to the point where you know I, I'm sure. He he wanted to keep going and and dig out of it and and uh, you know obviously would would have benefited his career to do that but there was a point where it just gets so bad that you almost feel like it's it's time to to put someone out of their misery even if even if the plan was as we were told by by Jeff Gordon and by Ken Hughes that they wanted to uh, it, it sounded like they wanted to get to the end of the season and make their decisions then in the off season. Uh, they, they couldn't. It, it was just. It got so bad, and and man, you you couldn't help but wonder what's going to happen when fans are back in that arena. Uh, when, you know when they could be half full or all the way full, and and you're playing like this, and you still got the same guy behind the bench. It, it was going to go bad. So the the logic or the argument would be, hey, they didn't want to make a change. You you don't want to hire your new full time long term coach in the middle of a season if you can help it because usually you you don't have full access to everyone you want to talk to. You want to take your time. You want to do it in the offseason. Uh, they wanted to get to the offseason with Dominic Ducharme. They couldn't. They had to make a change. So you know what? Bring in somebody and roll the dice. And who knows? Maybe Martin St. Louis is going to just be able to, uh, you know, maybe he's just a natural at this and he's going to be the spark that that can turn this around. And if he's not, you haven't committed to anything. You haven't risked anything, uh, and you you make the you make the change in the in the summer the same way that you were planning to, anyways. And you thank Martin Saint Louis, and he gets some experience, and everybody goes their their separate ways. And maybe it goes that way. That's that's possible. To me, the the worst case scenario here is not that the team continues to stink. 
if I mean if if they've been bad for half a year, if they're bad for the second half, then they, that's not on Martin Saint Louis. I don't think it'll reflect badly on him. It's a bad team, and it's a bad it's a bad roster right now. Partly because of how it's constructed, and and largely because of all the people who are missing. And you know we we've been over that. Um, if if they finish dead last, that's not the worst case scenario. The worst case scenario is Martin Saint Louis comes in and he's just good enough to make you go, oh, uh, maybe. Maybe this guy's got, maybe he's the guy, maybe he's not. And you wind up in that in-between zone and you get to the end of the season. And now suddenly the players love the guy. The fans love the guy. You're kind of sitting there going, well, we got, there's, there's more experienced guys we could hire, but I guess we got to bring this, this guy on. We got to keep him. And then it doesn't work out, which is kind of what happened with Dominic Ducharme, where he, you know, after that cup run, of course they had to keep him and, and it just really didn't work out. That's the worst case for me. Um, but, uh, yeah, if if you're a Habs fan, you're looking to 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 find the bright side on this. The bright side is it it can't possibly be any worse than sticking with the status quo. You know, I, you bring up a good point in Ducharme because he gets the three year extension largely because of that unexpected run to the Stanley Cup. Like, let's be honest here, it has been less than a year since they fired Claude Julian, right? Like the February of yeah. 2021, hell of a fired, year for Dominic Ducharme. Like, think about that. Like, <laughs> like it, in less than a calendar year, or it was February 21st. Uh, 2021, I believe, was the date that they fired Claude Julian. So in under 365 days, fewer than 365 days, Dominic Ducharme went from an assistant to a head coach to the Stanley Cup to one of the worst 40-game runs in the history of this league by a non-expansion team to kick to the curb, and he's out. And yeah. the question I had for you, and and I know you have the answer to this because I, I asked you beforehand, and I'm sure our listeners would appreciate a little bit of historical context here. So this is pretty rare, Sean, that a guy would guide a team to a Stanley Cup final and get fired within seven months, eight months, what what have you, of taking his team to the Stanley Cup. So how rare is this? And have we ever seen a coach lose his job uh, in the shadow of taking a team to a Stanley Cup final like Dominic Ducharme? I I can't remember. Now, maybe there may be some people who can point to a, a similar case like this. Certainly, we have seen a lot of teams go to the final and lose and then uh, fall off the, the following season. It's it's not all that rare uh, in, in the last uh, decade or two to, to see that. So maybe there's been a team that has made a change like this. I, I can't remember. The, the one that comes to mind for me is Al McNeil. And that's going back a ways if, if uh, um, you know, if people don't don't remember. We got to go back to the, the, the very early 70s for this one. And, and Al McNeil was a guy who took over the 70-71 the Canadians um, from uh, their their coach who who I, I believe quit about twenty or thirty games in. He was having ulcers, was having medical problems. Al McNeil gets promoted, takes the job, guides them the rest of the year. They go into the playoffs. They end up winning the Stanley Cup. I think this is the Ken Dryden year where he comes in as a rookie and uh, they they end up winning the Stanley Cup. But along the way, McNeil is just you know just a guy who's there to to manage this veteran roster. He ends up uh, feuding with some of the players. I think it's, uh, you know, maybe, I think it was Henri Richard. Uh, Henri Richard, absolutely, yeah. yeah. He he ends up getting, you know, he's butting heads with him. They win the Stanley Cup, and Al McNeil gets fired that offseason uh, and uh, and ends up not coaching again for several years. I think he ended up uh, coming back with the, with the Flames uh, towards the end of the decade. But that was a very strange case. Obviously, we have seen... Uh, both Mike Keenan and more recently Barry Trotz leave Stanley Cup winners um, the following offseason, but they've done that of, of their own accord and uh, not uh, not situations where they were fired halfway through the year. But no, I can't really remember a situation like like this, uh, this one with Ducharme, but if anyone out there does, uh, reach out and let us know. You know, I'm so I'm just looking up the story of how Al McNeil lost his job with the Montreal Canadiens. So, he sits, he benched Henri Richard in game five of the Stanley Cup final in 1971, okay? He benches him for most of the game. After the game, and the Canadians are now losing the series three games to two, Henri Richard says, quote, Al McNeil is the worst coach I've ever played for. In the <laughs> middle of the Stanley Cup final. Yeah. Okay? Uh, according to the report I'm reading, the backlash against McNeil, because remember, Henri Richard, I mean, this is hockey royalty, right? Oh, in Montreal, Montreal absolutely. Okay. Yeah. 
McNeil, the backlash was so strong, he was receiving death threats. The police had to give him around-the-clock protection for the rest of the Stanley Cup playoffs, and that included at the rink and on the bench during Game 6 of the Stanley Cup Final. The Canadians came back to win Game 6 and then came back to erase a two-goal deficit to win Game 7, and then McNeil was uh, relieved of his duties shortly thereafter. Yeah, that's, I mean, you... Won't see something like that again. You imagine a player yeah. saying that the in the middle this, of I mean, Stanley Cup. I mean, that wasn't uncommon back then. Like everyone hated uh, Scotty Bowman too. Yeah. Um, you know, they didn't they didn't say it necessarily out loud, but it, that wasn't rare at all. So uh, yeah, it's it's hard to imagine though now. And so I, I mean, we never got to the police protection point with Dominic Ducharme. Yeah. Although hell, of it. I mean, you ran down his ear. We didn't even mention sitting out. Uh, getting COVID in the middle of the playoff run and missing right. uh, an extended amount of time. And it, I mean, it just unbelievable. I, 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 I mean, I have no, I'm not saying this is it for him as a, as a coach in, in the NHL, uh, but uh, it, he packed more into less than a year than uh, an awful lot of guys, uh, a lot of guys pack into long, long careers. Yeah. And you know, I'm, I'm thinking too, with Marty St. Louis, just to wrap up the thought on the Canadians here, and we'll we'll, we'll bounce around because there's some other pretty interesting stories. But just to wrap up this thought, uh, you know, Marty St. Louis is an out-of-the-box hire and certainly has stirred some emotions. Is it what's more controversial? The Canadians hiring Marty St. Louis, or if the Canadians had hired Patrick Waugh to have been <laughs> their head coach? Oh man. Uh you know, this might be a more controversial or a more jaw-dropping moment when you find out about the hire. Long term, you're never beating Patrick. Patrick Waugh would would just take over that town for good and for bad, <laughs> uh, in a way that the, the Martin Saint Louis or anyone else is is not going to do. No, I don't. Uh, uh, I don't think anyone could uh, could beat King Patrick when it comes to uh, being the center of attention and and being an ongoing soap opera storyline. Uh, yeah. I, I all due respect to Martin St. Louis. I hope he doesn't take it as a challenge, but I don't, I don't think anyone's, anyone's getting up there with Patrick. Well, and the other thing is there's no way, like we just said, Marty St. Louis is coming in on an interim deal. Like Patrick Waugh wouldn't take the job on an interim deal, right? He would be like, it's five years or nothing, right? You'd think. You would right. have to think. I mean, the, yeah. that's, and he wants to be the GM and he might be the goal. I, he might be their best option in goal right now. The way things are going, I uh, I think you do. I, I think you just give him everything. <laughs> yeah, GM coach. Yeah. Isn't that what like Lester Patrick did back in the day for the Rangers? Wasn't yeah. he like coach and the goalie? Well, he went. Yeah, he went in for one game when he was forty something. So I mean, Patrick could do it at fifty. I'm sure. There's yeah, no, we we talked we talked a few weeks ago about player coaches. This is yeah. this is our guy. Yeah, and I, you know what? It depending on how it goes, it, the job might be open in the summer. Yeah. And it, le, wait, Lester Patrick was like, are we, are you telling me, I know we had some fun with the Wendell Clark line. Are you telling me that you and I are now older than oh, Lester no. Patrick was when he went in as the goalie? I don't want to think about that because I, I remember having like books as a kid where yeah. they had like drawings of this gray haired <laughs> old, old man, yes. very old man. And uh, yeah, I oh, think he no. was in his forties. That was us. That's us. Oh boy. That's, like if we got pressed uh, into action, that's how history would remember us as a couple of guys in their forties. Like I think, I think you, man, I always thought he was like in his sixties or something. The way that the the pictures were. I, you know what? Um, it was. I'm looking it up right now. It was 1928. Yeah, he was. He was 44. Oh my God, I'm 45. I'm older yeah. than Lester Patrick was when he he came in heroically. I'm looking I, at the picture of him. This isn't even a drawing. It's a photograph. <laughs> yeah. He looks. What happened back then? Did people just? I guess people I mean you, gave up. Everybody was were, smoking three packs well, of cigarettes people are every day. Married, but, people are getting married at 17. Like you're right, they're smoking. Like yeah, yeah. It, yeah, they're not taking care of themselves the way you nope. and I are. Imagine, like, you, you need to find that picture of Lester Patrick at the age of 44 and put it side by side by by Tom Brady, who's also 44. Oh, no. Oh, man. Yeah, that's there's there's no like, way. There's no like, way oh, this is the this same is Tom guy. Brady's, uh, you know, grandpa or like, like, 
who is this? Hey, well, this is them at the same age. Uh, he's all hunched over and everything. This is okay. I don't. I, I don't want to have this conversation anymore. No, change the subject. Okay. You know what? I need to tell you something because this literally just happened right now, and we're going to talk about Brad Marchand here. But I feel like you're going to be. This is really weird. Okay. You know how you get the Twitter notifications when a uh, uh, you know some like a, a verified blue check. Uh, person follows you or whatever. Okay. You know, okay. Uh-oh. Will or no? No, you're, you're going to be, you're more excited than I am for this. Okay. All right. WWE Hall of Famer Sergeant Slaughter hey. is now inexplicably following me on Twitter. Go. Now, now, I should, the caveat being, he's following like 48,000 people, but uh-huh. my phone just buzzed. And told me Sergeant Slaughter <laughs> is following me, and I feel like I need to share this with somebody. Are, and I feel like you, you're that person. Are you sure that it was on Twitter? Like you, maybe this wasn't like a like this wasn't a warning or something. Sergeant Slaughter is yeah. following you. No, that's okay. Look at this. Look at all these people. He's, he's not following me, so I'm just yeah. gonna you know. Hold on, Sergeant Slaughter's following me and not you. Apparently, yeah. I'm, this I'm is looking a, down his is... list right now. I don't. Uh... All right. Uh... Uh, we will move off of the uh, the unexpected uh, social media following of Sergeant Slaughter uh, uh, that I just got to Brad Marchand. And what I think is interesting is not two weeks ago, Sean, we had the conversation. We're like, damn, is Brad Marchand likable? Like, look at the things he's doing on social media. And he's poking the hurricanes. And he's poking, you know, fun of people at the Oilers. And he's taking people's phones. And, he, and you know what? This guy's pretty funny. And then... You know, we're, we're hearing stories of uh, he's helping out people back home where he grew up. You know, Brad Marchand, he's just misunderstood. And we're like, yeah, maybe he's turned the corner. And then Tuesday night happened where yep. he went after Tristan Jerry a couple of times, not just the time he got suspended for the thing where Jerry looked like he was trying to get the puck to the fan. And Which Marchand, pe- a lot of people thought was kind of funny. And, you know, yeah. sort of, yeah, I mean, it was a jerk move, but he was playing the character, right? He's living the gimmick. It's uh, uh, and it's in and Boston then, too, right? Like, so yeah, ah, yeah. it's not like he's taken away in Pittsburgh. He's doing it, which maybe it's a different conversation. Yeah. But wh- what do we make of this now? And he gets slapped with a six-game suspension. Yeah, and and then at the, at the end of the game, things things kind of go sideways, and he uh, both throws the punch and then comes back with the stick. And I mean, that's really what what got him. I, you, you you throw a punch that that maybe gets you a fine or maybe a game, but when you come back with a stick near somebody's head and face, even someone wearing a goalie mask, uh, that clearly uh, crossed a line in the in the eyes of the Department of Player Safety. And so, bad news for the Bruins, but good news for all the rest of us because we can go back to to hating Brad Marchand, and uh, it's the natural order of things. You know we. We can go back to considering him a rat and and all the rest of it, and uh, and uh, not having to like this guy as much. Which, you know, as I said, it's it's more fun that way. I think for everyone, probably including him. Yeah, it's uh, you know it's funny because he's the guy that uh, was was banging the drum the loudest about the Olympics, and now ironically he's going to be off in pretty much the same window that uh, that, that yeah. the men's Olympic tournament is is taking place. And I, boy, you know. I like in your estimation, what did you have a bigger problem with with Marchand? Was it the punch to Jerry or kind of going by him and sticking him in the mask? Yeah, that, that it's it was the stick. I mean, yeah. and I'm not I'm not trying to to act, to act like a a punch and you know a bit of a sucker punch is is uh, is is nothing. But you know, Jerry was mixing it up with some guys too, and uh, you know, I, I think if it had been left there, but you you can't. Go in with a stick. I mean that if that stick slips through somehow, gets through that mask, and it, you know it's up around someone's face or eyes, uh, that that can do some damage. And uh, there's there's no need for it. You're you're it's it's over. You're being pushed away by the linesman. It's it's done. And that you know that's always been a thing in hockey. Is once the linesman's in there and is is directing you off the ice, you got to go. You know you you can't. You can't spin off and try to get back into the altercation, and um, you know, especially if you're going to do it waving a stick around. So it's, uh, you know, it's the sort of thing. I'm I'm sure he maybe felt like he had his reasons to do it, and you know, maybe he looks back and um, feels like it. uh, He it it 
got out of control on him, or maybe he looks back and, and feels justified and all right, in that case, you, you do the crime, you do your time. And, uh, um, you know, nobody, nobody got hurt out of it. It, uh, it ended where it ended, but it was the sort of thing that the league is, is going to take action on. I was a little surprised when they went in person hearing and that they went as high as they did. Um, but not, not shocked. I mean, that was certainly within the window of, of what they could have done for, for that sort of thing. You know, and sticking with the Bruins too, they're they're in the news, and that Tuka Rask has officially uh, decided to to hang him up. And it, it's been a great career, fifteen years for Tuka Rask, all time winningest goalie in Boston Bruins history, three hundred and eight wins, Sean. And I've seen the the conversation kind of being bandied about uh, people saying, "Hey, Tuka Rask is the greatest goalie in Boston history," and then that opens up uh, certainly a conversation of, "Hey, can you be the greatest goalie in your franchise's history?" When You've never won a Stanley Cup. And Tuka, of course, uh, went to the Stanley Cup final. I just couldn't get over the hump. Um, I mean, as I look at the all-time list of goalie wins for the Boston Bruins, okay? So this is all-time regular season wins. Rask is number one at 308. There's a couple of other guys that are kind of in the 200 neighborhood and up. Tiny Thompson, which is an all-time great name. uh, He won 252 games. Frank Brimzik. <laughs> and I'm not looking at him. I'm not looking either of those guys up because they're they're going to be wrinkled up, shriveled old men. Oh, my God. find out they're 27. So yeah. I'm not doing that. 27-year-old Tiny Thompson looks like Tiny Tim or whatever. But I don't know. even want to think how small you have to be to be called Tiny but, in like you know, the 1920s. Uh, I don't know, but unless it was one of those ironic names where he was like six foot three. Oh, yeah. He was the biggest goalie. In, yeah, okay. Well, he was... Tiny Thompson, I looked it up, was 5'10", so it probably was ironic, because back then, 5'10", was gigantic for a Wait, goaltender. Tiny, legit, he was 5'10"? 5'10", uh, on, on his hockey reference page. Yeah, he was a big boy. So Okay, Tiny Thompson was... But, yeah, it's like right on the cusp, right? Like, five, it, like it's not quite ironic, but maybe in the 1920s, it was probably ironic, but... Okay, That's what I'm t- guessing, yeah. Yeah, Tiny Thompson, Frank Brimzik is next and wins... Uh, then you get into a little bit more of the modern era and, and goalies that won Stanley Cups in, in Jerry Cheevers and Tim Thomas. Thomas has 196 wins. If I asked you just, and again, we're kind of looking at this from afar. Is Tuka Rask the greatest goalie to ever play for the ball? Like, does he deserve the mantle yeah. of greatest goalie in the Bruins history? I, I think I think he can make the argument real, really well. I mean, it's it's hard looking back at, at guys that you know, played even pre-original six. Uh, you know, Tim Thomas was the greatest Bruins goalie ever in terms of if you have to win one game, that's at the height of his powers. That's the guy that you want there. There's for two years, Tim Thomas was head and shoulders, the best goalie in the NHL period, um, including a year that he won the Stanley cup. Didn't have the longevity um, certainly. And, and, and didn't, you know, didn't have the long career cause he didn't make the NHL for so long. So I, I'm not sure, you know, the, this kind of gets down to what what do we mean when we say somebody's the best? Um, do you want the long career or do you want the the peak? I don't think, you know, Tim Thomas at his peak was great, but Duke Rask was a Vezina guy at his peak. And, and Jerry Cheevers was very good, but I, I don't, I'm not going to move Jerry Cheevers ahead of Tuka Rask because he won a couple of Stanley Cups in an era where there were 12 or 14 teams half of which were expansion teams. And I mean, it really was, you kind of had to beat the Habs and that was it to, to get to, to get to win the Stanley cup back then versus Tuka Rask not doing it in a uh, 26 or 30 or 32 team yeah. league. Um, I, I think it's just, it's, it's very different. I think you could absolutely make the case that, that Rask is the best ever. And it, it's weird. I, I honestly feel like, and maybe some Bruins fans can tell me if I'm imagining this, but th- there's always been this kind of knock against him that he wasn't your big game guy. And and it's it, as weird as it is, I feel like if 2011 never happens, I don't feel like that sticks to rest the same way it does. If we just skip like right from 2010 to 2012, and he's the guy, he never won a cup, but he gets you to a couple of finals, and he, you know, then he's considered a great goalie. But the fact that one of the years that it wasn't the Tuka Rash show and that Tim Thomas comes in and holds down the job and they go all the way that year. I almost feel like that set this unrealistically high um, set of expectations because, like I said, Tim Thomas for a couple of years there was as good as any goalie has ever been uh, short yeah. of Dominic Hasek and maybe even close to to his peak. Uh, the fact that Tuka Rash lost his job to that guy and they won a cup doesn't mean that 
that Rask was a guy you couldn't win with because they did win with him. They won an awful lot with him, both in the regular season and the playoffs. Um, the fact that they, uh, you know, that that they they collapsed in in a few seconds in 2013 and lost a game seven at home in 2019 to me does not make this a guy that uh, that you, you you slap a loser label on. He was he was great. You know, I I'm looking at the all time list of Bruins goalies here, and you know how you usually do. Uh, you do your evil trivia on the website mm-hmm. on on our on our app and our website with the athletic. I got a great question for your you know next time you do a multiple choice. Of okay, which one of these which one of these goalies never played for the Bruins? Because I'm looking at a list here. There's a couple of guys that I completely forgot they played for the Bruins and they're goalies. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. So the one you're gonna know for sure because you know everything about this guy. I think is Felix Potvin. I have no yeah. recollection of Felix. Felix Potvin played. Uh, 12 games for the Bruins, it looks like, um, back in 2004. Yeah, he bounced around to a lot of teams. I don't, I, I remember that he played for the Bruins. I couldn't give you any memories of him playing with the Bruins. Yeah, okay. So he's one guy, and I'm like, okay, well, I don't really remember. Oh, sorry, 12, he, well, maybe he played 12 games. I can't quite. Anyway, so I don't really remember him playing for the Bruins. I also have no recollection of Marty Turco playing for the Bruins. Ooh. Do you? Yeah, I d- five no. games it looks like. Only five. Okay, yeah, no, I don't uh, Okay. No, I don't remember that. No, right? Like so I think you got a, the, the the basis of a question here, which of these guys and then you could pick another goal and then there's one other guy, uh Tim Shovelday played for the Bruins. Wow. Do I, you remember- I No, I remember I mean Shovelday I remember with the Red Wings, obviously, as a, yeah. as a Leafs and, and fan. Winnipeg, and, and I think right? he went to the Jets, right? It was, yeah. yeah. No, I don't remember the, the – but that's the thing. Like, the goalies bounce around so much. They're, and especially – and maybe this – well, maybe this this isn't – maybe this is me just, uh, just thinking this. It feels like back then, 80s, 90s, early 2000s, goalies bounced around a lot. And there were like, you know, like Sean Burke ends up playing for like six or seven teams. Kirk McLean goes on and plays for five or six teams. There's, uh, you know, guys like Ron Hextel was played for more teams than you would think. And uh, whereas now it feels like guys maybe go longer with with one team. But maybe that's maybe that's not the case. But yeah, those those like B minus goalies kind of bounced around everywhere back then. Yeah. So anyway, next time you're doing that trivia, you can go Felix Potvin, Marty Turco, Tim Shovelday, and then just pick anybody you want. Yep. Uh, that you know, Kirk McLean would be a great guy, right? Like to throw in people like, ah, probably Kirk McLean. Like, well, but then again, I don't remember Marty Turco playing for the Bruins, right? Or yep. Felix Potvin. No, so you, you wouldn't. That, but. Those are exactly the uh, the types of questions. Hey, hey so, and, and just just put a bow on this. As a teenager playing competitive ice hockey. Thompson acquired the nickname Tiny as a joke as he was the tallest player on the team standing five foot ten. And the nickname stuck for the rest of his so career. I was right. Five was ten made you the tallest yeah. guy on the team back then. And uh yeah, so that's it was. It was uh it, it was it was like a little John type ironic nickname. There yeah, you go. Like well they always say like if you if you could travel back in time to the seventeen hundreds, eighteen hundreds, right? Like we would be we would all be yeah. Zedano Chara. We'd be like, wow, who is this young-looking giant? <laughs> what do you mean he's 44? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, by the way, there's one other random name of a Bruins goalie here. This is classic. You know the Bruins once had a goalie named Percy Jackson? No, I didn't. <laughs> like like the Lightning I'm Thief assuming series? not the author, but... I'm uh... assu- but 1932 to 1936, Percy Jackson... Wow. Played goal for the Boston Bruins. That's uh that's, uh, that's an interesting one. I I didn't know that. I knew I knew that there was uh there have been a, there was a goalie in the NHL named Richard Bachman and a forward named Stephen King. I don't know if we ever saw them in the same place at the same time. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's that's oh boy. I'm already making my uh uh NHL players who share names with authors all-time roster. That's going to be a 4,000-word article oh, in man. mid-August. We're, 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 I'm, there's got to be like some Tom Clancy that played for the Rangers back in the We got to work on this. I 30s. mean, step one is I'm going to have to you know, find some books and actually uh, uh, <laughs> learn the names of some authors. But uh, after yeah. that, I'm, I'm going to be all over it. Okay. Hey, uh, I, I mentioned, obviously, Marchand kind of went off against the Penguins. Uh, Sidney Crosby 
is sitting on the precipice of uh, of a milestone here. Uh, could get it as early as Thursday in Ottawa. I feel like, listen, I feel like I need to point this out. I don't want Sid to get his 500th goal in Ottawa Thursday, not because I don't want to kind of witness history. I think that'd be cool. I think if you score your 500th goal and there's 500 fans in the building, it's not the same, right? Like it's yeah. not, I don't want it for him. I, 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 I'd prefer it to be in another moment. Like, don't you think if you're Sidney Crosby, if you play in front of a full house, maybe you, it's fine. Would you would you want to score your 500th goal in front of 500 fans? I, uh, well, I mean, you could give like each fan a puck <laughs> each, with like each fan with a goal from one yeah, of your goals. Each yeah. everybody look under your chair. There is a piece of paper with a description of one of Sidney Crosby's goals. Yeah, uh, and you're gonna get yeah. No, that's it's probably not the uh, uh, the all time greatest moment. I mean, there's. Uh, it's always great when you see a guy get the like hit the milestone at home or like on his former team. You know Wayne Gretzky doing it against the Oilers. Uh, this would be the exact opposite of that. I think we can say. Yeah, and listen, it's funny that you mention. Uh, you know, everyone look under your seat, and you'll get a description of one of Sydney's uh, goals. So if I asked you, you know, if you think of Alex Ovechkin, you think of some unbelievable. Like I was thinking the Ovechkin goal that he got against Arizona years ago. Right, remember kind of on his yep. back and he. You know, he's got a couple of those in his resume. There's the one where he kind of spins around in the neutral zone and comes in. And, and you know, when you when you close your eyes, you can think of a couple of iconic Ovechkin goals. When I ask you to do the same thing for Sid Crosby, is there a jaw-dropping, I can't believe what I just saw goal that he's got on his resume for you? I, I don't know if it's this to the same level as that that one Ovechkin goal, but he definitely has scored some nice ones. And he's... He's also, you know, he's had some real nice ones where he's, you know, batted pucks out of the air, uh, coming in at high speed and and knocked a rebound in and uh, stuff like that. I I don't know that I have anything that I would hold up as the the highlight real goal. I mean, obviously the the most famous Sidney Crosby goal is one that's not even on that list of five hundred because it's the Olympic gold medal winner. Um, and you know, I'm sure there's somebody out there muttering about how you'd rather have the gold medal winning goal than some fancy on your back goal against the coyotes or whoever. But, uh, uh, no, it's, uh, you know, Crosby, he's, he's got the 500. He doesn't have like necessarily the incredible highlight real goal, but he also doesn't have like the signature goal like Ovechkin has. Ovechkin, it feels like there's the one goal where he flips over on his back and then 750 power play goals from the same spot on the ice yeah. that look exactly the same. And Crosby could could beat you all all different ways, all over the place. And it's sort of, uh, you know, it was, it's funny. I was saying on my other show today that it, 500 feels like the wrong number for Crosby. It feels like he should either be much higher or much lower than that. Like, it, <laughs> right. you, you, almost, like you almost expect he should be at 600 or 650 or something. But, um, he's, you know, he's a center. He's a playmaker. And... Uh, Obviously missed a lot of time in his career as well, so it's it's going to be a great moment. And I, I'm starting to think this guy's going to the Hall of Fame. I call me crazy, but Ooh, I, hot, I think he's, hot takes are coming yeah. on the Thursday show. Okay, well, here, here, actually, this might be a legitimate hot take question for you. Okay, and and we're going to go ahead and assume that Ovechkin breaks Gretzky's record. Okay, so let's say Gretzky break. Uh, sorry, Ovechkin breaks Gretzky's all-time scoring record. Now I'm going to ask you, whose career would you rather have? Would you rather have Sidney Crosby's career, which is three Stanley Cups, two gold medals, obviously, you know, Hart trophies and uh, Art Ross trophies and, um, you know, 500 goals and all these things. Would you rather have Alex Ovechkin's career, which would be the all-time goal-scoring record, a Stanley Cup, and, you know, obviously a bunch of Rocket Richard trophies and, and, and some other accolades, Whose career would you rather have? Now let me let me clarify what you're asking here. Is this whose career would I rather have, like for my favorite player on my team, or is this whose career do I want? Like I get to snap my fingers and I get yes. to be you, this guy. Yes, you get to be that guy. You okay. snap your finger and you get to be that guy. Who who would you rather be, Sid or Ovi? Somebody actually asked me this in in a mailbag a few months ago, and my answer was. Uh, that I'd rather be Ovechkin. And my reason was not getting into, you know, well, who won this or this award or that. 
it's just this guy it, there is nothing or at least very little i've played a lot of sports all the sports in my life i've been good at some not so good at others um i don't know that there's anything as much fun as scoring a goal in hockey like just all the different ways you can do it you know just 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 getting the shot off and watching it go where you wanted it to go and get past the goal and go into the net uh, it's just such a great feeling. And this is a guy who's going to have done it more than anyone else in history in the NHL. That just that's, sounds like it'd be fun as hell. And he looks like he's having so much fun out there. And, uh, you know, compare that to Crosby. You know, I have a center. Now I got to play defense. I got to back check, win faceoffs, all this stuff. No, I want to stand in the faceoff circle and hammer the puck 700, 750, 800 times into the top corner. Um, I think that would be great. Now, if if he if Ovechkin had never won the cup, then maybe you start to go, oh boy, I don't know what I really want to go through the whole career. And but uh, the fact that he got it to, to me that seals the deal. Plus the fact that if I got to have their careers, that means if I'm Crosby, I got to go through the concussion, I got to go through the questions, and you know, am I going to play again and all that stuff? Uh, whereas Ovechkin's been pretty healthy. Um, call me shallow, man, but I just. I just like seeing the red light go on. I, I think uh, I can't think of anything more fun than being the guy who did that more than anyone else in the history of the game. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with you. And again, I think it's because Ovi's got his cup too, right? Like, yeah, if he didn't have the cup, it would have been that I'd becomes be like, tougher. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's a little bit tougher, but he's got a cup. three cups, gold medal you know, against yeah. being the guy. Because because let's be honest, right? I mean, if, if Ovechkin doesn't get the cup, then that's the asterisk that we all put on him. Fair or not. You know, people like us, he retires. Oh, he retired with 800 goals. But you know what? He never got blah, 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 blah. Uh, He doesn't have to deal with that now, or at least he shouldn't. I'm sure some people will still try to stick on him that he didn't win enough. But he he got his one, and the difference between one and zero is is massive. So uh, I, I feel like that that makes all the difference. Yeah, exactly. Well, ask ask guys like uh, like Joe Thornton or Marcel Dion about uh, just getting one, yeah. right? Like it's Ask uh, a Leaf fan. Yeah, we'll let you well, know. Yeah, I was, I was trying to stay away from that. But thanks. Let's open up the mailbag, shall we? Open up the mailbag and a reminder you can reach us at the Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com, the Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com, or drop us a voicemail. We've had a couple of those in the last couple of weeks 845 445 8459. All right, we've got a couple of emails here, Sean. Let's get to this one from Chris and a couple of weeks ago on the uh, Thursday edition of the pod, we were talking about Jamie Ben and that kind of surprising art Ross trophy. And I think we said, didn't he win like on the Sunday, the last Sunday of the regular season, he, he racked up a, a handful of points. Well, Chris has emailed us and said, you know what? You guys were talking about Jamie Ben and the art Ross. I was at that game uh, as an Islanders fan and I'll uh, confirm your shockingly good memories. Jamie Ben won the trophy with a hat trick and the third goal Went into an empty net. He then assisted on a fourth goal with just nine seconds left. That was the cherry on top. John Tavares is gone, and I'm still mad about that. That's from Chris because, yeah, Tavares was right. It came right down to that final weekend, and Tavares could have had the uh, the Art Ross Trophy, right? Yep, it was. That was he was the guy who was going to win it, and then uh, Jamie Ben pulled off the four point game. And yeah, it's, I, I I remembered the late goal. I didn't remember that there had been an empty net goal before that. Uh, yeah, that's that was a heartbreaking way to lose it. Although I got to say, I'm 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 shocked by this this listener email that we've got an Islander fan who's mad to this that, day that John Tavares didn't win. Like I would, I feel like you'd retroactively every Islander fan I know. Seems like they would retroactively be glad that Jamie Ben got those goals, yeah. took that honor away from the traitorous, backstabbing, bedsheet loving snake who betrayed his team by becoming a free agent and signing with a different team. Yeah, Johnny um, Bedsheets or whatever they were. Johnny Bedsheets. Yeah, don't yeah. call him don't, not pajamas. Yeah, don't make not me get Johnny Pajamas. He never not, wore the pajamas. It was we didn't see sheet. the pajamas. Yeah. They could have. Maybe <laughs> he had the PJs on underneath, but yeah. We didn't see that. They were bedsheets. Okay. Uh, James emails us as well and says, with the recent talk that the World Cup of Hockey might be returning to February in 2024 and presumably uh, replacing the All-Star game, is it time that the NHL return and, and sorry, and with the possibility the NHL returns to the Olympics one day, it seems to me like the All-Star game may lose even more importance than it already has. Um, is it time for a major overhaul here? And, you know, it's an interesting point. What did you make of that? And and these stories don't get floated out out of nothing. Like, there's obviously some concrete 
um, intel on this, that the NHL is contemplating some sort of best-on-best tournament in season February of 2024. And I got to ask you, because, Sean, in the past, when they've done a best-on-best outside of the Olympic cycle, be it the Canada Cup, World Cup of Hockey, it has always been in September. What do you think about pausing the season and doing this in February? Yeah, I I mean, it would work fine. Uh, If that's what they need to do to get some sort of best-on-best hockey out there, then go ahead and do it. I'm I'm all in favor of it. I certainly am not going to shed any tears over not having, uh, you know, if it means the All-Star game gets bumped. No issue with that. I'm I'm on record as not really being much of a fan. I, I prefer it in September. Uh, I and maybe that's just force of habit for me. But I think I, you know I like the fact that the players come in. First of all, everyone's healthy, so you're not worried about you know oh this country's missing this guy or this goalie's hurt and now you know that's going to change everything. It's it's true best on best. Just about everyone's healthy, and they're ready to go and. You can even, you know, you can do it sort of as you're also doing training camps, even because the superstars, oh, you know, if they miss, if they miss their camp, that's that's not the end of the world. So uh, it all it it's it's tends to fit in well. I I like September, but if if they've got a reason for not wanting to do that, I don't think that's a stick. It's not a reason not to do it. Put it that way. If you want to if you want to do it in February, go ahead. I I I do have to point out that. For years and years now, we've been hearing every time it comes around to the Olympics time, all these NHL owners crying about, oh, it's so disruptive to the schedule. It throws off our schedule. And now that it's something that they're actually going to put together, they're going and saying they want to put it in the exact same uh, exact same spot and disrupt their own schedule the exact same way. Um, if I didn't know any better, I think that maybe they weren't being completely honest about why they didn't want to go to the Olympics in the first place. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, the answer is, I've been told many times, the answer is always money. Don't e- don't even think for a second the answer is something other than money. It's always yep. money. So follow the money trail. Hey, uh, but I got to ask you, though, if we go to this format, World Cup of Hockey, every other year, it's got to be best on best, right? Like, we can't have the Young Guns team, can we? I don't, I mean, I'd rather not. I'd rather have best on best. I know the young guns were were fun. It, that was a it was a very cool thing to see. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, they were fast. They were skilled. It was it was really eye opening. Um, I do think that it it was a little bit of a lightning in a bottle thing, and that you had McDavid and McKinnon and Matthews and all of these guys could could be on that team. I, I don't know. It's always going to be like that. But no, I would rather see. Uh, you know, I'd rather see Connor Bedard on Team Canada than than see him having to skate around with, uh, you know, with with whoever else um, from the American side is uh, is is on the Young Guns team. And and same with Team Europe. And I know that you know part of the issue with that is you say, well, yeah, how many teams are you going to have? You're going to do six? You're going to do eight? Well, what about this player? He doesn't get to play. What about these guys? They they're not going to be invited. And the answer might just be, yeah, that maybe that just is how it goes. Um, but I would prefer to see not, you know, don't do the young guys, do something like that at the all-star game. You know, with the listener was asking about, do we mess with the format of the all-star game? Do something like that. Have, have a young, you know, have a rookies versus young guys versus older guys versus the super old guys. And, you know, maybe people find some pride playing that way. I don't know, but I, 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 I don't love messing with an international tournament, even though, I will admit that it it did work out pretty great the last time. You know what? And, and I wanted to bring this up because, you know, last week on the podcast going into the All-Star game, I said, you know what? I wonder, did did they did the NHL lose its, its kind of uh, sizzle or like the All-Star game lose its competitive edge when they shifted the game from a Tuesday night to a weekend game, right? They were mm-hmm. like, ah, maybe that. Mm-hmm. I just, I thought of something during the week. I'm like, well, wait, wait a minute. Do you think it lost its its edge when they introduce the skills. Like it it's almost like the skills competition made it into a carnival and a novelty act. The whole thing. Well is there yeah, an argument or, for that? Or maybe the yeah maybe the the issue is that the skills was just so much fun that it kind of it it was supposed to be the thing, the appetizer, but the appetizer became so good that you sort of realized the meal itself wasn't as good as you thought. I, I don't Yeah. 
because you know what's i th- those early skills competitions were pretty competitive you know and they were pretty simple too it was all right we're gonna do hardest shot accurate we're gonna have a race you know that that was pretty much it it uh and uh you know, now it's, it's obviously they're look, they're, they're trying new things now. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to rag on the NHL for trying some things and, and trying to get creative. But um, yeah, I, I mean, the, the reality is I think it, where it lost its luster is as the NHL got more and more competitive, everyone got bigger, everyone got in better shape. Everyone was going full speed all the time. And to, to have another game where you're expected to go full speed, it was like, forget it, man. I'm exhausted. I am just going to go out there and I'm going to, I'm going to play at half speed and so is everyone else. And that's the best you're going to get out of us. And, um, that's, that's where we wind up. You know, and again, I just have this memory come back as you talked about those early skills competitions. Can I bring up something? You tell me if I'm wrong on this. Okay. But okay. Raymond Bork was like the first guy to go four for four on shooting the targets. You remember this? I remember him going four for four. Yeah. Yeah. I think he was the first guy. But I remember sitting there as a kid watching it thinking like, ah, I kind of feel like you're an NHL player. Like maybe you should hit four for four. But I remember like Pete, the place went bananas. It was like, it's yeah. unbelievable. And I was like, I, I don't know. Like I, I kind of feel like if you're uh, an elite NHL player, there's four targets and you hit them and you're not that far. You're kind of in All a right. high slot. Am I the only one who isn't overly impressed by that? We're going to get Ian out there and we're going to see no, I, uh, what he could do. Yeah. Uh, maybe, but that was the thing. But then you saw it happen and you were like, oh man, even these guys kind of uh, yeah. struggle with it a bit until Bork came in. And it was great. I, I love the accuracy shooting because it's, you know, the, the the hardest shot is great, but the hardest shot, you, you can't tell who's got the hardest shot. It's just eight guys taking a slap shot and then a number comes up. Same with the fastest skater. Uh, if it's not head to head, at least you you have no idea really as you're watching it. Whereas accuracy, you can see it. But yeah, that Ray Bork, that infamously, uh, according to legend, may have influenced the decision to have him go in the shootout years later in uh, in Nagano. So um, see maybe, another reason to hate it. Yeah, that's that's that was the moment that we all turned against the the All Star Weekend. Yeah. All right, let's, as we always do, we're going to wrap up with This Week in Hockey History. We want to let our listeners know, though, uh, no Jesse Granger this week, no Granger things. Uh, usually that segment is brought to you by our good friends at BetMGM. Uh, but this week we're recording the pod late, late, late on Wednesday night, uh, pretty much almost midnight Eastern time, and uh, the Golden Knights are playing right now. So no Jesse Granger this week. We'll get uh, Jesse back uh, in the saddle for next Thursday's uh, show. But as we always do, we wrap up with a little This Week in Hockey History, where we go back and we look at some things that have happened this week in hockey history. Uh, this is a pretty good one, I think, if you're a Toronto Maple Leafs fan. Uh, February 7th, 1976. Daryl Sittler notches a 10-point night at uh, Maple Leaf Gardens against uh, the Boston Bruins. 10 points in a game for Daryl Sittler. Uh, I feel like this is completely unbreakable. And the reason why is I feel like, Sean, we went through the Gretzky and Lemieux era. And those guys didn't even get to nine. Like, mm-hmm. if, if Gretzky and Lemieux couldn't get to nine points in the game, you tell me how somebody in the year 2022 is getting to 10 points in a game. Or, sorry, 11 points in the game, technically, if you want to talk about breaking this record. Yeah. I mean, to even tie, well, okay. Here's my counter argument to why it's, it's maybe not unbreakable. Any record where Sam Gagne got 80% of the way there, I feel like Connor McDavid or Leon Dreisaitl or somebody could, could get there. And, We've seen guys get like five, six points by the midway mark of the game. There, I feel like there was one even even relatively recently. And every time it happens, I get nervous because I, you know, as a Leafs fan, I don't remember this guy. I was too young for uh, for this game, but it, it's it's one of the few cool things in um, you know even relatively recent NHL history that the Leafs could actually claim. Uh, and I, I, I don't want to see it broken, but I, I find like there's a couple of times a year where I start to get a little nervous here, you know, so-and-so's oh, second period, they've already got five points and you're kind of going, Oh, Oh, this, uh, maybe, maybe we're going to see something. It hasn't happened yet, but, and I, I certainly don't think it's likely anytime soon, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's undoable. Uh, I think, uh, it, you never know. If if Jamie Ben can get four points on the final night to steal the Art Ross, uh, somebody can do it in February against, uh, well, probably against the Canadians. The Canadians, things are going. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
But I, I'm having a hard time thinking of another record that's a single game record that would be as untouchable as this. Although it's hard, mm-hmm. right? In hockey, like it's okay. There's ten points, and I guess what are we are we saying? Six goals is the record because well, there, that's it, was, it right? Because it Joe said Malone there's seven, seven goals, but but, but that that's was, in the the early days. You're up against Tiny Thompson back then, yeah, you know, yeah. like <laughs> that. Yeah, exactly. How do you score against a guy that big? It's crazy. Yeah. He could yeah. almost reach the crossbar, man. This is wild. Yeah. yeah. Uh it's uh yeah, the, the six is you know, six is definitely not untouchable because we've seen guys get to five uh relatively relatively often. Yeah, I'm sure there's some other more obscure ones uh that are out there too. But that yeah, that probably is the toughest one. But that's that's the beauty of sports, right? One single game, you never know. You, you never know if you're gonna see something wild that's never happened before. Yeah. And, uh, um, you're right. It's it's very unlikely in this this still low scoring era, but uh, you never say never. One more to wrap up uh, the uh, the podcast, and uh, this this one was interesting to me, and, and maybe you can walk us through this. So this week in 1966, February 9th, 1966, the NHL announces, "Hey, we got a six team league." Coming up in the fall of 1967, so kind of, you know, 18 months from now, we're doubling the league. The league is going to have 12 teams. But what I've always wondered, Sean, is when the NHL expanded from 6 to 12 teams, they did a very strange thing, which was they took all six expansion teams, like the St. Louis's and the Philadelphia's, and they put them in the same division. They put them in a Western division. And what this did was it guaranteed that one of those teams, which would, uh, you know, in the beginning was St. Louis, would get to the Stanley Cup final. And I've always wondered, like, why didn't they just take three teams from the original six? And and, and whether that was, you know, New York and Boston and I guess, again, maybe geography was the issue there. Yeah. Uh, well, but, but, it, but it wasn't because they had the West that had Philadelphia and Pittsburgh in it and they had Chicago right. in the East. So um, what happened here? Why did they put six expansion teams in one division? They they decided that it, it was it was for competitive reasons. They knew uh, that the six expansion teams were going to be terrible, and they didn't want those teams to just be getting crushed and be nowhere near the playoffs uh, for probably years and years, um, which. For the most part, they they would have been. Um, so they made the decision. They they made the decision to put them all in one division, which was a strict. You know, that was a questionable decision to start with. You know, even geographically, you could have at least put Detroit and Chicago, and then you know had who who knows there there would have been ways to do it. Um, but they they made the decision to put the expansion teams in a division and give them four playoff spots, which at least gave them something to play for. It meant that all six teams started with off feeling like we can make the playoffs this year. Where it got really weird was the decision to then keep those two divisions separate all the way to the Stanley Cup final right. and not do some sort of crossover where you could say, all right, we're you, you know, yes, you can make the playoffs, but now you're going to cross over and you're going to play the the East and we're going to get we're still going to get our our uh, Boston Montreal final. Whatever it's going to be, and they decided not to do that, and so we wound up with St. Louis three years in a row going to the final and getting swept every single year. Yeah, and then but then they changed it because then by the early seventies, you know, you would get you know Montreal, three Chicago, years. three years. It it got us uh, it, 68, 69, 70 did get us the Bobby Orr goal. That was probably the one uh, yeah uh, you know Flies most most memorable moment. And then. In '71, the Al McNeil year—that was the first year that they they mixed it up, and uh, and we got back to having um, non-expansion teams, at least not being guaranteed a spot in the final. Look at that! All comes full circle back back to the 1971 Montreal Canadiens and Al McNeil, and uh, yeah, again, imagine calling out your coach in the middle of the Stanley Cup final. He's the worst coach I've ever played for. Good thing there wasn't Twitter uh, back then, because that one yes, that one would have absolutely. Up. Yeah. Hey, listen, this was a lot of fun. Uh, there's there's never a shortage of things to uh, to talk about. So listen, enjoy the week coming up. Enjoy the Super Bowl coming up, even though... Uh, can I bring up the fact that the four, we haven't really talked about the 49ers getting bounced? Okay. Yeah. You know what, yeah, what am I doing was, here? It this was is tough, a needless, but... This is a needless drive-by by yeah. me at the end of the show. Yeah. 
Well, yeah. let's let's talk about how our teams got bounced in the in in the in the football playoffs. Sure. Yeah. I'll have that conversation. Yeah. All right. We'll leave it there. We want to tell everybody again. We love it when we uh, hear your voice. You can drop us a, a voicemail at 845-445-8459. Or like I said, an email is always open too. Uh, the inbox is open at theathletichockeyshow at gmail.com. If you're not a subscriber to us, you can join us at theathletic.com slash hockey show. Get an annual subscription. That'll be $3.99 a month. And you can also subscribe to The Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. You'll get all of our bonus content from the entire network. Start with a 30-day free trial. And then it's just $0.99 cents a month after that.